Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Bruce, good to be with you here today. How are you? Good morning, Rachel. Um, this is a follow-up uh, to one of our previous podcasts, so I think people will find this very interesting. We're going to try to attempt to uh, do some teaching here, um, both visually and uh, auto with our audio responses, and hopefully we'll do a good job. Yes, excellent. And we are. So a little bit unique conversation today as we're going to be sharing our screen a little bit. Today we're talking about sequence of returns risk and how to get the most investment income without running out of money. So specifically, I want to bring us into the conversation. Did you know there's a secret hiding in plain sight that average rates of return will never tell you? This is something that we're going to be talking about today. In this episode, we're going to discuss something called sequence of returns risk, something that's critical that you know about and you probably have never heard. Now, this can be a risk that poses a concern and a problem to your future income from investment portfolios, and we want to help you understand how to minimize this risk. So if you're looking to get predictable income from an unpredictable investment portfolio, because all investments are slightly unpredictable as we can't control the future, you want to be in a position where you don't run out of money, and you want to see exactly how you should supplement your investments with non-correlated assets Also, you can plan ahead, not be stressed out with trying to figure out retirement income in the moment when it's too late. This is the episode you want to tune into today. So Bruce, let's just kick this off here. In most people may not be familiar with the term sequence of returns risk. So I think it's probably important for us to kind of lay some foundation first before we address and define this big concept that everyone needs to understand. So I think we should start by talking about what is an average rate of return? Well, an average rate of return uh, throughout the industry and how people normally think about it is they they say, okay, I received a a certain return the first year, a certain return the second year, a certain return the third year, so on and so forth. And then they just take that return and they average what they receive percentage-wise that year. The one that I use, example, with my clients all the time is, I say, if you start out with $100,000 and you lose $20,000 because it's a 20% drop, then the next year, if you get a 20% increase, you'd have minus 20% plus 20%. You would then be at zero so people would say your, average, average, your right? average rate of return over those last two years was zero. But in fact, if we do the actual rate of return off 100000 you lose 20% or 20000 you go down to 80000 you gain 20% the next year. Now you're at 96000 so you still have lost 4%. So I think that's an easy way for people to understand is that you cannot average averages, and yet the industry does this quite a bit. And you have to understand the difference between an average uh, rate of return and the actual rate of return. What happened when you actually got your money into that particular 
uh, vehicle. And it doesn't have to be just strictly securities investments. It could be all kinds of investments, rental property investments, businesses, business investments. It can be any type of investment that you do in your life. Absolutely. I think what's most interesting about this is that the average doesn't speak the real language of your experience. So as you said, Bruce, I think average is just something super mathematical that we can understand. You take every year's return, add them up, divide by the number of years, there you get your average rate of return. And it's really easy for an investment provider or a portfolio or a mutual fund to say, here's the average rate of return. And yet we put a lot of weight in what the average has been in the past. We think that means it's going to be that average every single year going forward or that our experiences, at least a positive average, should mean that my return and my account is growing, but it doesn't necessarily even mean that. And I think what's really powerful to realize is that the reason why averages don't tell the whole story, the first reason, is that your your negatives or your losses at a certain amount, so a percentage of negative 20, weighs much more heavily than a positive 20%. So that can be hard to conceptualize, but Bruce, you just said it really well. If you lose 20, you gain 20, you should be back at zero, but you're not. That's because 20% of 80 is much smaller than 20% of 100. So when we think about this, it's really hard to maybe conceptualize why average would not or why a negative and a positive wouldn't be equal, but think about this even further. What if you lost, say you had $100,000, you lost 90%. 90% would mean that we're taking that, that $100,000 all the way down to 10,000. Now, what if we gain 90%? 10,000 plus 9,000 is 19,000. We lost 90,000, we gained 90,000, we're not anywhere close $100,000. Again, we're down to 19000 So the negatives weigh much more strongly and heavily than the positives of the same number. Yeah. Well, another, another way I use with my clients, especially ones that are, they tend to understand sports, um, because I used to coach basketball. I used to say, okay, I have a player on my bench that is free throw, a free throw shooter, and he, he makes 25 out of 50. He's a 50% free throw shooter. That's not very good. And then I have another one on my bench that makes two out of two, and he's 100%. So if we were in the investment world, they would say, okay, you have a 100% shooter and a 50% shooter, and they, your team would average 75%. But if we actually look at the numbers, we have 25 made out of 50 and two made out of two. So we have 27 made out of 52. So actually, when we're playing the game, we would only expect to make free throws 51.9% of the time. And so oh, I think that sometimes helps my clients that are that understand sports a little bit to put this in perspective. So I often use that, that example. The other thing, Rachel, that people don't realize is when they're looking at an investment, oftentimes these are in calendar years. So, example, we just helped a lady uh, with, uh, take over her portfolio in April after the recovery from the COVID. And even though the overall um, market is down still from the first of the year, it looks like her portfolio from the time we took, took over is up 11.6%. 
So you have to look at it in the context of when you actually invested in that particular year too. So when people say, oh, well, the stock market was up 20% in year 2018, but if you only put it in in April and you didn't mm. prorate it over that time period, you might be thinking, well, why was mine only up 3% then? Well, that's because most of the time that it was up was the beginning of the year. And obviously, the converse is also true. It's all about when you put your money into an investment. And we're going to talk about that. And that's what sequence of return means. Yes, I think the next concept that we need to uncover is the idea that the order of the returns matters. Now, when you use an average rate of return, we just throw all of the annual rates of return into a jar. We put the lid on, we shake it up, and then we divide by the number of years. It doesn't matter which order things were in, you're gonna get the same average if you had negatives in the beginning or negatives at the end. However, in your actual experience, if you have losses at the beginning of that stream of years or that period of time versus losses at the end, your experience is completely different. And this is a phenomenon that I think most people would not even think really matters. This is why we call it the secret hiding in plain sight. So Bruce, do you want to share a little bit about that before we pull up a comparison? Yeah, I think the thing is, once again, it's about when you get into this investment, but it's also about when you need to access money from the investment. And so that's what we're going to focus on now because obviously people think about retirement. They think, oh, do, am I going to have enough money to retire on? So what we're going to show you in just a, a, a second here is we're going to show you that it's also very important when you access money from that account, when the losses occur. And this is what happened in 2008. Many people said, well, either I cannot retire now because their retirement balances were way low, or people had just retired. They had been retired for a year or two, and they had been accessing money off of their accounts, and now they had to access the same amount off of their account, which meant that their accounts had to work even harder to overcome the distribution amount, or they had to take less out of their accounts. Neither one of those are very appealing to people. So the no, sequence of return not. risk is a very strong risk that I don't think enough people talk about in the industry. And thus, um, that means that the, that the normal general public doesn't know enough about it. And that's why we're having this podcast today. Absolutely. So before I share our screen and share some charts with you, I want to give you a conceptual, very high level overview of this. So imagine we just take two returns for a two year period of time and it's negative 50 and 100%. Let's first put the 100% return first and then the negative 50. So in this case, we have $100,000. We gain a hundred percent return. That means our account goes from a hundred thousand up to two hundred thousand. Now we lose fifty percent, so negative fifty. We're back down to one hundred thousand. And another way to say it, Rachel, is you lose half of your investment. So yes. people maybe some people might see it more like that. So you lose half your investment, so it goes from two hundred to one hundred again. Yes. Yeah, so gaining one hundred percent return is doubling your investment. Losing fifty percent of your investment is 
cutting it in half. So mm -hmm. we doubled it, then we cut it in half. So what happened is in that case, I started with a hundred thousand. Two years later, I still have a hundred thousand dollars. That actual return is zero percent. However, my um my average rate of return in that case is 25% plus 100 minus 50. I'm at 50. I cut that in half. That's 25% rate of return. However, let's look at it in the opposite. What happens if I first lose 50%? I first lose half my money. I'm at 100,000. I first lose 50%. That is now I'm down to 50,000. Now, if I gain 100%, You're I'm back at a hundred thousand. So yes. So anyway, um, I think I lost my numbers on that, but in that case, we're at 25% average rate of return, 0% actual. That actually did not work in the case of the account balance. So I should have thought that fully through in advance. And that's what we get sometimes with a live show. So we're going to show you this in terms of the actual uh, charts. And I want Bruce, you to be able to explain this while now I'm we'll do this. We'll, and I'll do the audio part for the podcast now that we're at the video. So the, the, what you were just doing, Rachel, was a simple explanation um, of this. But I think uh, what, was, um, what was lost in the translation is uh, it's not just about a two-year process. It's a, it's a multiple-year process. And it's also about taking money off of those investments while you're trying to retire. Um, that is the most important thing. So we're pulling this up now for our podcast listeners. And what we're really going to do is we're going to use actual S&P 500 returns over a period of time and that period of time is a 15-year period of time and we're going to start with early losses um, at the beginning so we're going to show you that if you were in a situation like 2008 and you had consecutive years of losses and the years of losses try to visualize this as i'm talking we have a beginning balance of five hundred thousand dollars the first year we lose 10.14%, the second year we lose 13.04, and the third year we lose 23.37. Now, fortunately, over the history of time, there hasn't been too many three consecutive years that this has happened, but there have been consecutive years when people have lost money. So that's why I'm saying that losing money early is not a good thing for your long-term account balance. So then we continue on this historic look and we are actually getting positive returns, positive returns. And for the next 12 years, we have positive returns out of, of 10 out of the next 12 years. And yet, because of the early negative balances, the $500,000 as we withdraw, annual withdrawal plus, plus growth of 20%, or excuse me, 20,000 plus cost of living adjustments. Mm -hmm. We have an ending balance um, after 15 years of only $74,300. That's all we have left of the 500,000 taking money off of this. That is because the main reason for that is, like we said at the opening part of the show, we're trying to take money off 
of this account balance that has actually lost money that Which year. just so means your negative is extra, extra negative because you're not only having a loss, you're also taking out the withdrawal, which is causing it, it to fall even further. Yes. So if you were taking uh, whatever uh, withdrawal amount you've chosen to take, whether it's 3%, 4%, 5%, 10%, and you lose a 10.14% that year, you have to make up the return and the amount of percentage that you took out, which is going to be even more difficult on a smaller ending value, as we've already talked about uh, when I was talking about losing 20% on 100, making 20% on 80, which is mm -hmm. only 96,000. So you're still behind. So then what we did, and you can see it on the uh, video por portion on Facebook and YouTube, is we simply took those returns, those historical returns, and flipped them so that you, you lost very little money at the very beginning. You actually made big money at the beginning, and then you took the losses at the end. So anybody yeah, so I'll just point out again, because of average rate of return, both account balances are getting the exact same average rate of return. The only difference is that instead of starting at 10.14, we ended with 10.14. We switched the order completely and changed the order of the returns. Go ahead, Bruce. Yeah, so anybody that know, understands numbers, the order does not matter when you're doing an average. Um, you, simp you simply get the same average. So both averages are the same. We're doing the same withdrawal amounts. But now because we didn't get the early losses like we did before, the 500,000 after 15 years withdrawing the same amount, we have an ending balance of 344,290. So we have about $275,000 more, specifically $270,000 more, um, simply because of when we started withdrawing from the account values. So that is what we say all the time is, it's when you start accessing this money. So that means the sequence of the returns are when those returns actually happen, whether they be positive or negative, is very, very important. And because you don't know the sequence of future returns, mm -hmm. That's why people feel uneasy when, when somebody says to them, oh, as long as you get an average of 6% return on your portfolio, you'll be fine. And that, as you can see from these examples, you, you cannot be 100% sure, as Dr. Wade Fowl said on our podcast last week, that you will be sure in that situation because when those losses occur are very, very important. Yes. Yeah, so again, the main point that I think you need to bring away from this is you could have the same account balance. You could have the same average rate of return with early losses in your portfolio. You are going to have a worse eventual outcome. If you have early positive gains in your portfolio and you're taking money out, even if you had the same average and your losses were just shifted to the end, you're going to come out for much further ahead. The problem is, as you just said, Bruce, very well, 
we can't control the, the order or the timing or which years we're going to get positive returns and which years we're going to get negative returns. That just is a fact of the year I was born and the year that I want to start taking money. We don't get the luxury and the liberty of saying, well, I've built up this investment portfolio and I retired now. And in this particular year, I now want to take off a return. I want it to be a positive year. We don't get to make that decision. Hopefully the account will continue to grow and hopefully returns will always be positive, but we know from experience that that's not the case. Yes. So I think what we need to say now is the risk is compounded by needing to take money out in down years. And so what is a solution to this problem? So as, as from research and from, um, uh, from an educational viewpoint, like Dr. Wade found is the solution is, that you have a non-correlated asset, whatever your investment is that you're taking returns on, you have a non-correlated asset. And that non-correlated asset is, needs to be a guaranteed asset. So that asset is there so that instead of pulling from your portfolio in the years that are down, that you can go to the non-correlated asset and you can take the money from there instead of from your investment account that is down so that it doesn't have to work at work as much to recover, which mm -hmm. you, we've, we've proven to you, I hope, through this, these two examples that it's harder for it to recover after a, a, law, a year that you lost. And that's obvious to our listeners, but it's even more difficult to recover from a year after you lost if you're taking money from it because it increases the negative effect of the down balance. I think so that's the, very well said. Yeah, so the next chart that we will show you is a chart that is mirroring the exact same early negative losses. The exact same early negative losses. So this would be a case where uh, this particular person had negative losses and after that first year though, they said, let's not take any annual withdrawals out of here. So we're going to let the, this particular uh, portfolio recover. It lost 10.4% that year. So we're not going to take any money out of the portfolio. Now, I know what our listeners are thinking. Well, I need money to live on. Mm -hmm. And we're saying that's true, but we won't take it out of this investment portfolio. We would have prepared for this in advance. And we would have a non-correlated asset somewhere that you can actually pull money off of that instead of the investment portfolio. And in this case, because we had three years of negative returns, we would not take any money out for those three years. So again, this is showing the same order of returns as the first example that ended with only, what was 74, it, 74,000? Yes. So this is the negative situation that ended with least, the least amount of money. We left the order of returns the same with your losses heaviest at the beginning, which were the actual order of the returns over this span of years. And then what happened is every year there was a loss, the consecutive, the following year, we took no annual withdrawal. So it's kind of shifted like this. This year had an, a negative loss we took no withdrawal from the investment portfolio that year. 
this year had a loss, no withdrawal from the investment portfolio. And again, then Bruce, this comes back to the question of, well, I need the money to live. Where is this coming from? We're saying in advance, we've built up this portfolio or this side account or this non-correlated asset, which is something that is not fluctuating the same way as the stock market is, that I can get my income from instead, which is a buffer asset. This is something to buffer the negative impact of sequence of returns risk and buffer these negative, the years of losses. And so I think what's profound here is that just by saying, well, I didn't take money out in every year following a loss. Now my ending balance is tremendously higher. 249. We had. It's about $175,000 more than you had before. Which you could say I'm taking out less money, but I'm only taking out about now adjusted for inflation, but 20, 40, 60, 80,000. So by taking out, by not taking money out in just four years, approximately 84,000, let's bump that up a little bit for the cost of living adjustment. Maybe we could say closer to a hundred thousand. We have 175,000 more dollars in the portfolio. And that's the power of having a backstop or a, uh, place to turn to to get your income from that's not your investment portfolio. Right. So, and, and so the, to kind of uh, pull this together with our previous podcast with Dr. Wade, you know, the non-correlated asset, um, we can joke and say it can be cash that's sitting around your house. Mm-hmm. We can, it can be in the mattress. It can be in a, in a sock drawer wherever. And you just pull money out of there to live on. Or it could be money in a bank, like a like a checking or savings account. However, we know that the rates of returns on checkings and savings accounts and money market accounts are negligible. It, it may as well be under your mat- mattress. Mm-hmm. It could be something else. It could be a, an annuity that is has some guarantees on it. Or it could be what we, as, we, what we agree with Dr. Wade Fowle, it could be is cash valued life insurance and specifically whole life cash value life insurance because of the guarantees. So Mm -hmm. if your investment portfolio is going up and down and that's not a good thing, we don't believe that the cash value life insurance and neither does he should be in a, uh, a life insurance vehicle that also has the ability to not have guarantees in it. So So, meaning, meaning if you're going to use a buffer asset, don't use IUL or VUL or something that is connected to the stock market that is going to have some of that same risk as your investment portfolio. Yeah, and even a and even a UL policy, which is not, which is not in uh, the stock market, but it it it's making some assumptions on interest rates, um, and so and it, you could actually have more premium due in the future. So the the other great thing about this is that Dr. Wade talks about it is that not only is this great to help give your investment uh, portfolio a rest to recover, but it also will allow you to pull more money out of your investment portfolio, give you the permission in retirement to spend more money, knowing that you have your life protected, buy an insurance policy, and it will fill the bucket back up either for your spouse or for you, the legacy that you want to leave for a charity, a church, uh, your children, your grandchildren, so on and so forth, whatever you want. So it's really about giving a, a 
uh, a couple or a person the permission to spend even more when they're in retirement without the fear that they will not be filling the bucket back up. Bruce, I think that's very well said. And I think this is a very excellent follow-on to the conversation with Dr. Wade Fow. And again, the reason that we're talking about cash value of life insurance as a non-correlated asset is that when you have a life insurance policy that is a high cash value, specially designed whole life insurance policy, you not only have a death benefit that's guaranteed, you also have a rising cash value inside of that policy. What that means is I can access and use my cash value for whatever I want. I can take a policy loan. I could even take a withdrawal. I could take uh, dividends as income. There's so many different options that you could use and ways that you could use this policy, but it gives you the ability to have a guaranteed cash value that you can use, which means you can use that for an income source as that buffer to not have to take a draw off of your investment portfolio. And so I love that you mentioned even refilling the tank and, and passing on a legacy with the death benefit. So there's just so many ways and components of the life insurance policy that allows your life to be improved, which then means you can spend more money during your life, enjoy your money more fully, and then still have that legacy. Yeah. And the, I, I hopefully the listeners for this podcast would go back and listen to Dr. Wade. And uh, Dr. Wade is actually a, a professor at the American College of Retirement of, of Financial Services. He's a retirement expert. He actually came out of the investment world. And um, in the podcast, he will actually tell you he was all about investments. And his research actually brought him to the insurance side of the industry. And now he actually works for a, a registered investment advisory firm in Dallas. And he has espoused the, his research so much that he says he gives it to people and say, here, go reproduce my research and tell me how it's not correct. And the mathematics is, is there uh, that we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't have the investment world fighting against the insurance world. We should be all in a collaboration together to, to maximize a person's portfolio. And I think when you look at his research, um, I've been espousing it for years. I think it's the best thing for each individual in, as they go into retirement. Absolutely. And we will make sure that we have the link to that last podcast. It is not on the podcast channels yet, but it's a live broadcast that we did on Facebook and YouTube last week. Um, that's Dr. Wade Fau, P-F-A-U, if you want to look him up directly. And again, when you are in a position, regardless of what your financial goals are, if you're saying, I want to build cash flowing assets by having real estate properties and I want to have a, a real estate investment portfolio and I want to build businesses, if that is your financial strategy, life insurance tremendously helps that by giving you predictable guaranteed returns and access to capital inside of a policy. In addition, if you are going the typical investment route and you have an investment portfolio and you're thinking along those lines, life insurance is a key uh, supplement and piece that should be added into your strategy. Life insurance, specifically whole life insurance, makes whatever you're doing in your financial life that much better and provides you so many more options. So if you're interested in finding out more about whole life insurance and how it can benefit you, we have many resources available. You can go to privatizedbankingsecrets.com. We have free guide as well as a course on privatized banking. And if you're ready to talk with our advisor team, you can book an appointment for free 
a 30 minute session to talk about your concerns and find out if we're a good fit and helping you move forward. And that's at themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar. We'll make sure that those links are also in this episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. And in closing, I want to remind you that success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life in business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.